Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. For newcomers to this program, it is a space that we bring together the world's leading thought leaders in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's gorgeous episode is with my friend and mentor, Dr. Perlmutter. Uh, He is multiple-time New York Times bestselling author. Um, He has a new book out called Brainwash that he co-wrote with his son, Austin Perlmutter. And uh, this conversation was really great. Um, It was quite heartfelt. He shares some quite emotional moments, uh, very vulnerable moments that I'm pretty confident he hasn't shared in other podcasts. So I greatly appreciate his vulnerability in this episode. Uh, We also get into the way that technology is forming our minds, our brains, our thoughts, our feelings, and how we can start to take control of some of that stuff. Hope you love this conversation. Uh, I wanted to thank y'all for grabbing the Align Method book. It is my, my first son or daughter, my, my child birthed into the world and is presently on discount on Amazon. So it's like, I'm actually looking at it. It's like $18.39 or some obscure number like that. And uh, people have been loving this stuff. I got a review. I so greatly appreciate you guys leaving reviews for that. Uh, this comes from DJ Naughty. Buy hard copy, exclamation point, he says. Uh, only $18. This book is, oh, wait, disappeared. Hold on. Here we go. Uh, this book has changed my life, exclamation point. It is written with a clever wit and a heartfelt professionalism that is unparalleled. Thank you so much for that, DJ Naughty. Um, so yeah, people have been loving the book and I'm so greatly appreciative of that because it's like, I like bore my heart in it, I would say. And it's everything that I've gathered over the last 16 years of professionally working with clients and myself, um, and this podcast and everything, it's all encapsulated into that thing. So if you appreciate this podcast, you will appreciate that book. So you can grab it, the Align Method on Amazon or bookstores or whatever. Uh, thanks for checking out the website, alignpodcast.com. Starting the five-day movement challenge. If you're feeling it, eventually that leads into the online program and going deeper into all things functionality of movement and self-care and how to integrate more effective movement into your life, what that means and why that matters. Um, I think we are good to go. I greatly appreciate y'all's support and um, Thanks for sharing. Thanks for subscribing. Subscribing is huge. And here we go. Back to the shizzy with Dr. Perlmutter. Dr. P. Glad to be back. Here we are. Thank you for making time for this. Absolutely. I greatly appreciate it. We have a new Libro. Brainwash. Done with your son. El Libro Nuevo. How was the Libro Nuevo with your with your hijo? It's, uh, it's a breathtaking experience. It really is... Uh, it's a real life event. I mean, not just because of what we're talking about in the book, but I think what you're alluded to, being able to write and create a project with your son is really very cool. Yeah, what was surprising about it? Um, you know, I've done a lot of books, and Austin this has not done any books. This was his first book. And yet he taught me an awful lot about writing a book. <laughs> so, um, And I really learned to be a good listener, and he made some very good points. And uh, as I've said to him before, held my feet to the fire about being so diligent in terms of the interpretation of all the studies that we reviewed. You know, not to take liberties and try to extend from an animal model to a human model unless, you know, there was a mechanism that would allow that. So it was really very good. And, and you know, the book is an outgrowth of conversations that we had uh, about our frustration in learning as much material as we can then trying to impart that information to patients, and then step three gets dropped. They don't implement. They don't make the change. They don't make the choices. So, you know, as a physician, you get to a point where you start to accuse patients. It's their fault. Why didn't you change your diet like we talked about? And you you start to blame, uh, whether you do that actively or at least you're thinking about it. And we've come to realize that decision-making on the part of people has been hacked. That this isn't all their fault that, you know, in a very real way, the deck is stacked against people being able to do what they know is important. They, you know, at this point, we don't have to stress the importance of lowering your dietary sugar, cutting out the refined carbs. Everybody's pretty much saying that. There are countless books out there that are giving great dietary information. But 
that's all well and good. Uh, but if the books are on your shelf and you're not doing what they say, then you're disappointed. Then you're down on yourself uh, and you're just further and further in the rabbit hole. So what's leading to this, what we call disconnection syndrome, where people are disconnected from that part of the brain that helps them make good decisions. Uh, in a word, it would be inflammation. Hmm. The same inflammation that we target for heart disease, diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's. Uh, this is the same inflammation in, that is you know, pervasive in the modern world that's disconnecting us from the good decision-making part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, and locking us in to a more primitive part of the brain called the amygdala that's very short-sighted, very narcissistic, and doesn't think of the future, the big picture. Hmm. And where, what are the primary influences augmenting the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex? Is it chicken or the egg? Where, where does it start well, from? Well, you know, we'd, we'd like to think that you start your life with a pretty good connection to the prefrontal cortex, but the reality is naturally we don't. Naturally, that connection to the prefrontal cortex happens in, the, in late teens. So it, it sort of explains why teenagers don't always make the best decisions. But, you know, we're past those years, you and I. You are closer to those years than I am. But nonetheless, we, we hope that we grow out of that mentality and make more adult decisions. The problem is that a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people are locked in to that uh, childlike brain and are thinking only of the next food decision, not how that food decision, for example, is going to play out over the next 10 years. This has to do with how you handle money. It has to do with whether you choose to change your arrangements so you have a good night's sleep, whether you choose to get some exercise, whether you choose to uh, meet up with other people and have relationships with other people, whether you choose or not to spend time in nature. These things all are involved in connecting you to the better decision-making part of your brain. Mm. So where we are now is... Heck yeah, there's great information out there about movement, about um, food, about sleep. Wonderful books are written. But they're not worth anything if you don't implement what they're talking about. So we're taking it to a level of, okay, all this information's great. We want to provide a bridge between information and action. And we do so by first calling out how your ability to make good decisions has been hacked. We talked about how food hacks into that by increasing inflammation, but... You know, I, this doesn't sound like a conspiracy theory, but um, you know, we know that what our digital experiences are like these days are actively trying to subterfuge our attention, yep. to take us away from why we're online, for example, with pop-up ads, with clickbait, with repeated uh, YouTube videos, one after another, that sort of is right in line with what you looked at last time or what you might have looked at a week ago, targeting you, but yet selling that your eyeballs to the highest bidder. So your attention is sold to the highest bidder and that locks you into making quick decisions to buy stuff you don't need, eat foods that you shouldn't eat. And the more you engage in catering to that type of decision making, the stronger that pathway becomes in the brain and the less able you are to reconnect to the adult in the room. Yeah, I, f I feel like it's easy to blame technology for robbing us of our attention. Uh, but then at the same time, I feel like technology in large part, cell phones and all that stuff is, is a symptom of something deeper, which I, I think humanity craves connection and we crave purpose Without and we crave question. nature and we crave all of these things. You take that away, all of a sudden, the, the blue lit LED screen it becomes a lot more sparkly. Well, it's a very interesting uh, lead in there because... In a very real sense, much of what's going on with us is hacking into these important desires that we have as humans. As an example, we all have a sweet tooth. I don't care how paleo or keto you are. Everybody would eat sweets, right? We, we choose not to, but having a sweet tooth is a powerful uh, uh, mechanism whereby we survived. It's a survival mechanism. It's an adaptation genetically that we all carry because it told us in older times that the fruit was ripe and that it was safe and that it was going to give us some sugar which gave us insulin spikes which caused an increase in body fat so we could survive the winter. So that's how that all came together. It was really wonderful. But now that's an entry point for that desire to be hacked into when you recognize that 68% of the 1.2 million foods 
sold in America's grocery stores have added sweeteners. Why? So that it's appealing and you'll buy that crap and knowing full well that it's not necessarily good for you. And another hack that you just alluded to is we are social animals. We survived because of our ability to work together. But now that's the entry point for this uh, social media kind of thing that we think we're connecting to other people yeah. on, and we're not. What we're doing is we're fostering, ironically, isolation and loneliness and also entrenching ourselves in one way of thinking. Because, you know, people join groups online. Th these are looking at people who have the same worldview as they do, whether it's uh, Democrats or it's Republicans or whatever the, the uniqueness of the ideology may be, that's where people gravitate and it strengthens their commitment to only looking at things from that perspective. And that is really uh, dangerous because it's limiting our ability to understand other viewpoints. That's also mediated by the prefrontal cortex. So everything I've said so far that's cutting us off from the prefrontal cortex is cutting us off from empathy, from uh, both uh, the empathy of experiencing other people's pain, but also the type of empathy, cognitive empathy, whereby we can take another person's point of view and be with that and see how it feels as opposed to saying, that ideology is ridiculous. I'm not even going to go there. That's silly. They're wrong. I'm right. Whether the earth is flat or the earth is round, there are two camps. One yeah. might be right, one might be wrong, but I think the flat earth people and the round earth people could come together and say, well, let me hear what you have to say. And that's how we get along, and that's how we make progress. The amygdala that we then default to when we cut ourselves off from this prefrontal cortex fosters this us versus them mentality that yep. is global now. So when we think about the westernization of the global diet, how the global diet is changing to a more western, highly processed, read pro-inflammatory diet, and that type of inflammation is locking us into an us versus them fear-based mentality, then this westernization of the global diet has existential implications because it's changing the mindset of the planet. And we aren't going to do well with that. Can you go a little bit more into the way that our diet augments our mindset and our, our thought patterns? What a, what a concept, isn't it? Well, uh, you know, a diet that favors inflammation, a diet that's devoid of dietary fiber that uh, is, incorporates omega-6 fats that are pro-inflammatory, uh, that has higher levels of sugar that glycate our proteins and increase inflammation, that changes our gut bacteria and therefore leads to increased leakiness of the gut, these are all entry points for amping up inflammation. And inflammation itself does a lot of things in the brain that aren't necessarily good. It has an important role to play in reducing the amount of available serotonin that affects our moods. Uh, it also challenges this connection to the prefrontal cortex. So higher levels of inflammation tend to push us to more amygdala-based behavior. And what does that mean? It means worse food decisions, right? And what does that do? Amps up inflammation. That's a vicious cycle. Hmm. And what, el what else happens? Well, we gain weight. What happens when we gain weight? We don't sleep as well. Higher body fat translates to less quality sleep. Less quality sleep leads to greater impulsivity, poor food decisions, greater weight gain. Another vicious cycle. Yep. So, you know, it's important that people really first understand that it's not all their fault. You know, people blame themselves. Other people blame them for, well, why don't you just, uh, you know, you, why don't you just adopt this or that diet? Because I read a book that says it's really great, and I have a friend who lost 30 pounds. And then they try, and they fail because they can't stick with it because they haven't worked on their decision-making part yet. That's what Brainwash is all about. Yeah, I wonder how much of a correlation there is with um, the financial system that we inhabit like, for example, like close to half of Americans, from what I've read, can't afford a, a surprise $400 bill. And so living paycheck to paycheck would lead to a person being somewhat stuck in like a fight, flight, impulsive type behavior mindset. Without a doubt. And, and in fact, as I alluded to earlier, we're talking about decision making across the board, mm. not just for the areas that we tend to be interested in that relate to health, uh, healthy lifestyle and longevity, 
but decisions as it relates to short-term uh, trading versus long-term investment. Hmm. Uh, decisions as to how might my actions today uh, affect you? How might my actions affect my future self? How might they affect the planet around us? So it's a big picture. And, uh, you know, it looks like this disconnection syndrome, disconnecting from the prefrontal cortex, has incredibly wide-ranging implications. And so you know, the mission here is to allow people to reconnect. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, I think I think it was Plato or Socrates. One of those, those fellows was, or, or maybe both of them was talking about uh, books being like the end of our minds and we're going to forget about, you know, we won't remember information. It we was Plato. It was Plato. Yes. And I think it's, it's similar. Like now we're experiencing this technological revolution where there's similar people saying similar things. And I wonder if perhaps in a hundred years or a thousand years, we'll look back and be like, oh, it's, we'll have a similar perception on technology the way that we do now on books. Or, well, I or think that, you know, what we learned then about books, it ultimately seemed to be a positive experience. But uh, I think even now early on in, in the digital world that we find ourselves, there's clear evidence that there's significant risk. Now, uh, am I, uh, are we rather uh, anti-technology? Absolutely not. I mean, we wrote this book based upon the wonderful accessibility we had to an unlimited amount of information via the internet. Wonderful, great. Uh, but, you know, 6% of the world now qualifies as being addicted to the internet with an incredible host of implications uh, because of that re relationship. Yeah. And, you know, we see in kids who overuse social media actual research demonstrating changes in their brain, reduction of connection one hemisphere to the next through the corpus callosum. So... Again, it's not, uh, it's not a question of technology get bad or good. It's a question of using technology and not being abused by technology. So yep. we, uh, it, it's a very good, uh, you know, it's a good uh, talking point because we're asked this all, all the time. And we say that for your online experience, and let me just put this into context. The average American spends more than six hours every day in front of one screen or another, whether it's your uh, tablet, phone, TV, computer, whatever, six hours a day, that's, you know, over a lifetime, that's 22 years spent in front of a screen. And we can talk about the implications of that from the exposure perspective, but just from the perspective of when you're doing one thing, you're not doing something else. So when you're spending that much time uh, in front of a screen, you're not outside, you're not exercising, you're not preparing a meal, you're not connecting with other people. So we want to apply what's called the test of time to our online experience. And it's an acronym, TIME, T-I-M-E, TIME. How much time are you willing to spend to accomplish your task? I, is it intentional? Do you have a goal in mind? When you reach that goal, then you're finished. M, are you mindful of what's going on while you're having your online experience, keeping in mind what your task is? And finally, E, is it enriching? Is it a positive experience when you're done? Do you say, hey, that was really great, or gosh, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time uh, binge buying uh, something I, I don't need? Yep. Is it enriching? So, you know, to be clear, gosh, we, we love our digital technology, but it's got to be put where it belongs. We've got to recognize that there are other things in our day that we don't have, we shouldn't find time for. We shouldn't find time for exercise. We should make time for exercise. We shouldn't find time for meditation. We should make the time, which means in our list of priorities, these guys got to move up and our online time of surfing and reading about what's going on in Hollywood or whatever that distracts us needs to be ratcheted down because it's not enriching. It's not doing us any good. Yeah. And then it's interesting to think like uh, how many like influencers or, or people that we model their behavior um, because they're famous on the internet, how often they're actually kind of stuck in their, that, that quicksand of, of their addiction to their cell phone and to technology. So the people that we end up idolizing oftentimes are addicts, but just of an addiction that we culturally accept. I want to take a short moment and thank the sponsor of this podcast, Organifi, uh, for supporting us and supporting me over the last several years. I've been really devouring these guys' products, and uh, they are USDA organic, they are gluten-free, they are dairy-free, they are vegan, and they really are paying attention to the quality of everything they're putting into each 
powder in this case. Um, they do proteins and they do green juices and they do all the good things that taste amazing. I'm holding in my hands the turmeric and reishi infused gold gently dried superfood tea. So I put this stuff into uh, tea around nighttime. It makes like a little like reishi, turmeric, anti-inflammatory, uh, cacao type mix is like a really delicious thing or any, any kind of tea you could throw it into. And uh, reading some of the ingredients here, it's got turmeric, it's got lemon balm, it's got turkey tail mushroom extract, it's got magnesium, it's got uh, all the good things and tastes freaking delicious. And y'all can get yourselves 15% off by utilizing the align code. Uh, go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. Uh, and then buy whatever it is your little heart desires. I recommend trying the turmeric and reishi infused gold goodness and uh, get yourself 15% off. All right, uh, back to the program with the great Dr. Perlmutter. It's a really good point because as, as you do, uh, as I do, we have the opportunity to interact with all kinds of incredible people who uh, may be incredibly successful in a narrow area. And uh, all well and good, you know, we, 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 there, that's a blessing. Uh, but it's, you know, it's about how you we were talking about this, this morning, right here when we were walking around, that uh, it's all about the balance. What is that balance point? And it's different for every person. But um, what we do know is that relationships with other people are important for health, disease resistance, and longevity. We know the value of exercise. We know that we've got to do our best to eat right. And that sleep is incredibly undervalued and yet incredibly important. Uh, you know, connection with nature also on the list. So these things are all important and everyone wants to live a long and healthy life and has the information. It's the question about making the choice. And so the first part of brainwash is identifying how that ability to choose those things has been taken from you. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's, you know, everybody understands how our, our eyeballs are manipulated when we're online. What may not be as clear is how our diets have been manipulated. And they have been. We know they have been with the addition of sugar and salt and other and not good quality fat to make these foods more addictive, if you will. But it's not just, well, these foods are addictive, so I choose them more frequently. It's these, fuse, these foods are poor quality, and they're changing the wiring of my brain, mm. affecting my decision-making, moving forward and locking me into choosing them again and again. That's the manipulation that we want to call out. We did call it out, but we want to end in the sunshine where we're saying, yeah, that stuff's happening, but here's the bright part of the story is that you can relatively easily regain your connection to this incredible gift, the prefrontal cortex, and make really good decisions moving forward that will have the outcomes that you so desire, that you so crave. We, whether it's gaining weight, losing weight, making more money, uh, feeling uh, more energetic, whatever it may be, all of those things are going to you know, ultimately manifest when you ultimately can make better decisions and you know, there, there's no paucity of information out there about what is good for us. It's, you know, the, the paucity comes to us in the realm of deciding to implement this information. Yeah, sometimes while driving, I'll notice almost like my hand, like a ghost, like reaching down to the cell phone to check notifications or texts or emails or whatever. And I wonder if that is something that's novel to this generation or if before my time, and I'm asking you because you actually have, have been there, was there something else that was pulling our attention before cell phones and technology? Oh, in the car especially, because we had, in my day, we had <laughs> only horse and buggy. Right. You know, I, I remember when that thing came along, and then, then the dial phone was really you know, something. Her horse pooping, it's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, but I know we connected to the horse microbiome. On oh, right, but, good. Um, no, there used to be great conversations in the car. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that we didn't have, we had maps. We had paper maps to get from one place to another. Yeah. And I submit that while Waze is great, uh, it, it was a good exercise for our brains to try to figure out where in the heck we were mm -hmm. and how to get there. But, you know, that's another discussion. I welcome that technology. I think that's that's awesome. I think pe people's lives are saved by not looking at maps and having somebody tell you how to get somewhere. And certainly 
the environment is, is helped because people are driving around less to find a place. So there's a lot less fuel burn, I would think. But uh, you're right. I mean, just walk out on the street and everybody's looking down and not looking at each other. What we're doing right now is seemingly more and more rare. We're communicating by looking into each other's eyes, looking at the nuances of facial expression. We are sharing microbes across our breath right now. So it's a very enriching experience that doesn't happen on digital uh, media. That said, uh, how cool it is that you can FaceTime somebody in, in another country at any time. You know, it's breathtaking that you can do that. But I think we've got to prioritize this type of relationship, prioritize time for those things that allow us to be better decision, decision makers. Yeah. It seems like that extra spaciousness that we created, that new bandwidth from having, you know, a, a British voice tell us where to turn. All of a sudden we have this, this new bandwidth that can go in some direction and where I think it's, it's gone uh, to the delight of advertisers is um, our attention has become a commodity. And so it feels like we there's there's kind of a split in the road where like we we could use all this extra attention to do amazing things, but you pay for it. Yeah, you have to pay for it. And you know, people say, well, it's free. There there's no free ride. Yeah, uh, you can be certain that you know your uh, history is tracked day in. And I'm telling people things they already know, right? Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, there's things that pop up on whatever device you might be using that you are strangely interested in. Now, how, how did that happen? So there is incredible value to others for, for your attention. And the interest is not in your health and your betterment, but in uh, others, the interest of others. Yeah. What do you foresee in, for in the next 20 years with technology and uh, our health and our attention and the state of the human organism? Uh, Aaron, I would say that uh, there are many positives that, that we are looking at just now in development that I think that are in that realm of technology. I think wearable devices are going to become uh, far more uh, deregulated and available to us to monitor. We now see you can buy a really incredible heart monitor uh, without a doctor's prescription that uploads to your smartphone. That's great information. We should have access to that information. We should have access to our blood sugar levels and our ketone levels at whenever we want. We should, of course. So I think we're going to see a, a major expansion in the amount of information available to uh, non-medical people. And I think that's a, a, going to be a net positive. Why would it not be? I mean, the, the argument against it was, well, people are going to become neurotic about X, Y, and Z. Well, they ought to be a little bit more, I wouldn't say neurotic, but at least paying attention to these extremely important measurable, device, uh, measurable parameters, like sleep, for example. Now you can wear an aura ring and know how, what, what is the quality of the sleep that you got last night. Why do I mention that because that's really important that's one of the most underrated uh, uh lifestyle events uh that we've ever understood you know uh again you spend uh, eight hours a day or should spend seven to eight hours a day sleeping you don't spend anywhere near that length of time eating or exercising so really very very important so i think what what happens moving forward is we learn more and more about ourselves and that's the upside now as far as implantable devices for that in that realm, I'm all in. But you know, that we're seeing a push for more implantable or quasi-implantable technology in wearables, in glasses, uh, and I think that um, you know that could be a little bit distracting and keeping us more and more away from interpersonal connection. So I'm not as uh, pumped up about that. Yeah, I wonder, do you, are there any trends or fads that you see in the modern? I don't know, health era, health sphere that you feel like will will pass? Like, I feel like you've seen all the different yo-yo effects of like, now it's, you know, with keto and then it's, you know, carnivore is cool and then maybe fruitarian for a little while and then it's like, oh, you got to do Atkins and, and it's, if you're in the system for more than maybe six years, you see like, oh, wow, that came and then it went and that... Yeah, it's. Uh, I can assure you, I'm asked that question quite a lot these days, and you know because I, I lived through Atkins and South, when, and subsequently South Beach, at a time when you know mo the great consensus was buying into the fact that fat is going to kill you, and it, this was just you know somebody telling you the earth was flat, and you, it, it was very difficult to get your arms around. 
Um, and you know what happened thereafter is we began to recognize two important things. First, that our ancestors' diets were probably a lot better. A and had B had more fat. And then we also started to see the actual research when the Journal of the American Medical Association published the A to Z trial, which was looking at the Atkins, uh, comparing that to uh, the Ornish, where that was the O, the Z was the zone diet, various diets. Atkins won out across almost every parameter, a measurable parameter uh, like lipid profiles, uh, blood sugar profiles, and even in terms of weight loss. That staring you in the face still may not have been enough. And it took me a while to recognize the value of fat. In those days, I was pretty much digging my feet in on a lower fat diet, thinking, you know, that uh, that's what was demonstrated was effective for certain brain disorders. But uh, ev every fill-in-the-blank, week, month, whatever, is a new uh, trend, fad, uh, you name it. I mean, keto uh, really gained a foothold. Why? Uh, two reasons. We saw what it did for insulin sensitivity, A, and B, there was this notion that it was uh, somewhat in line with what our ancestors must have been eating, so therefore it kind of spoke to our genome in a positive way. Well, that obviously segues to paleo, which is predicated on that whole notion of amplifying gene expression from our Paleolithic genome, which is a very good foundation, I believe. Uh, you know, these days, the, the, what's trending, at least in terms of percentage increase, seems to be getting back to eating a lot more meat. Now, you know, that may prove to be uh, some, you know, a salubrious sort of approach to health. My sense is it won't be because what we, we see is, you know, meat is devoid of dietary fiber by definition. It does not contain dietary fiber. And I, for one, recognize that that is one of the most important components of the diet. Almost, although it's a carbohydrate, should be, in my opinion, almost listed as a macronutrient. I'd like to see protein, fat, carbs, and fiber. But because it's carb, it can't be uh, teased out. Uh, my, my worry, my concern is that going higher on the carnivore uh, consumption is going to detract from dietary fiber uh, a and B, you know, there is plenty of argument against having uh, so much animal protein and and less specifically protein in general. I think that limiting protein uh, enhances through various pathways your body's ability to activate the autophagy channels so that we can clear debris. Uh, and that's been shown to extend longevity, uh, not in humans per se, but in other animals from which we derive information. So this notion of, of reducing insulin signaling, reducing what's called IGF-1, which then leads to reducing something called mTOR, amplifies our ability to get rid of the garbage, basically, autophagy. And that's my big concern about, you know, the, the notion of meat three times a day and high, high, and high, large portions of meat. You know, everybody loves meat, but uh, it's, uh, it seems like that's not the way to go, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, it'll change. There'll be other trends and, and ideas. But I think that pretty much the broad strokes are now not going to be indelible, but are certainly well entrenched. What are they? That less processed foods, for sure. Uh, diversity of your foods, important. Low sugar, low uh, processed food, or processed carbohydrates, and, uh, you know, certainly low additives and higher uh, cho choice of organic whenever available. I think those are the broad strokes. Vegan, great, with some caveats. Uh, if you uh, do eat animal protein, I would say minimize it, not a whole lot, maybe once a day, and be cognizant of the source of same. Uh, and so I think those are kind of the broad stroke metrics that I like to apply to dietary recommendations. Mm. I'd like to make an abrupt transition into asking you about uh, more like personal personal questions. I, I, it seems unanimous that people that I've spoken to about you out of, <laughs> in appreciation, because I've always been struck by how grounded you are as a, as a, as a person, and you would have, as far as people go, you would have, you know, more right than anybody to be kind of like an arrogant jerk with all of like, you, you're just, you're like a big deal, Dr. Perlmutter. You've, oh like done, <laughs> you've like done great <laughs> things. You've like changed the world and people love you. And um, you've maintained this grounded humanness to you. And it's, I wonder if there's ever been like life events that have perhaps triggered you to maintain 
your feet in the ground or if perhaps there's like practices or something or is there anything that stands out in that way? Is that a strange sure. question? Uh, it's, it's a wonderful question, actually. And that's not a typical podcast question, though I welcome it. And I, I think the, the underlying motivating force here is, is gratitude. Hmm. I mean, I, I look at my family and, um, and I'm just so grateful for all of, all of what I've been blessed with. And I feel a sense of what uh, Kennedy called noblesse oblige, meaning an obligation to give back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you say that people are, are feeling good about my messaging, uh, that really makes me feel very good. I, I fully embrace the notion that that's not going to be 100%. There's going to be some ones and twos out there and some fours and fives. And uh, I've learned over the years to really welcome and embrace the criticism because on occasion it's well-founded on occasion criticism will bring you to a place of understanding something from a different perspective and that's really a good thing um one of my life experiences learning experiences was being uh, highly criticized in a, uh, a very popular national magazine somebody wrote a very scathing article about dr perlmutter that dr perlmutter used to tell us to be on a low fat diet now he's telling us that olive oil's good i'll just you know and and just aggression i did a glutathione study in parkinson's patients and it didn't it didn't work well it did if you read the study it worked incredibly but the contention of the writer was it didn't work and and um this uh when it was published the morning of its publication i was i had an intervention on myself from my publicist and publisher and uh, one of our writers got all on the phone and said, well, what are you going to do? Dr. Pomodoro, this is such a, you know, it's so, it's so aggressive. And I said, I took a deep breath and I said, you know, God bless him. It's the best that this person could do to sell a new book that was saying that grain is a good thing. We should eat more gluten. That, uh, that's a, and, I, and that was a very a, a good lesson for me because at first when it happened, my amygdala lit up. And I was, you know, my fight or flight, and uh, wasn't flight, it was fight. And I was going to call and do everything and call in the troops. And I realized I'm not going to define myself based upon somebody's opinion. That doesn't define me. If, if that's the case, then what is the value of all the work I've done all, of, uh, all these years to define myself to myself? So it was a, it was a really powerful lesson for me. Hmm. Have you ever dealt with anxiety or like uh, panic attacks or feeling like kind of the, the, the edge of your line with stress in your life? No, I haven't. Um, I, I um, had one event a couple of years ago, which was really, uh, I'll never forget. Uh, I was on my way to get my teeth cleaned <laughs> when uh, I was called by a friend close, real close friend, the wife of a close friend, who she, uh, a close friend as well, saying, uh, you got to come to the emergency room right now. Michael has, uh, is in a coma. Well, Michael was our, married my wife and me. He was one of my closest, closest friends. And and we played guitar like every couple of weeks. Just, uh, you know, just, he was a very special person in my life. And um, when I got to the emergency room, I, 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 I saw him there, and I first I said, "Let me, look, you know, let me look at the CAT scan. I'll be right back." And what I saw in the CAT scan wasn't w- was a lethal event. And I went in and examined him, and I realized he was work. It was basically brainstem at that point, and deteriorating quickly. So uh, I spoke to the family, and everyone had arrived at that point. Uh, that that uh, you know, this where we are, and. Um, we waited till the n- about midnight when all the family could come in from the rest of, from around the country, and um, at that point I had to uh, extubate him, meaning I took him off the ventilator, mm-hmm. and uh, did all the things I had to do, you know, as the neurologist, right? And I didn't really process the whole event. I was still acting from that with that hat on of being the neurologist and and explaining to the family and, and taking care of everything. Well, the next day, uh, I, I wasn't feeling all that great. I went out to dinner with my daughter. I went home that night, and uh, I got really sick. I mean, I, I don't recall uh, even, you know, ever in my life, even in college with a, with a, a, a bad night out, anything like this. Uh, I was out of control. 
vomiting and uh, shaking and everything. And uh, then in the morning, I um, felt a little better. And Mike's wife phoned and said, um, do you have any image, any photos or video you can give us? We're going to do a, a ceremony, a, a memorial for Mike. And so I went through some of our stuff. We had some uh, video of us uh, playing in a, a concert. And uh, I looked at that uh, in the in the kitchen on the computer. And then I suddenly um, didn't feel well again. And I went onto the couch. And uh, I, I don't know how I looked, but my wife looked at me at that point. She said, you really look bad. And said to me, I'm going to call 911. You, don't know, you never say that to me. I don't care what. I'm not, you're not calling 911. And I said to her, uh, uh, she said, I'm going to take you to the hospital. And I said, uh, yeah, I'm not going. You know, I would never go to the hospital. That's not because I work at the worked at the hospital, right? I'm going to show up. So I said to her, "You're not going to call the hospital." She said, "Oh, you're just being stubborn." And I said, "You need to call an ambulance because you're not. I'm not going to make it to the hospital, and I'm not one for drama." So the um, ambulance shows up. I've got a heart rate of 180 and fl- uh, florid uh, atrial fibrillation, and I was <laughs> was messed up. I was a sick puppy, and the the EMS man said, oh, you're just having an anxiety attack when he first arrived. He said, you're having an anxiety attack. That's that was that's why I'm responding to your question. And I thought, well, maybe I am. Gosh, I, I just, he said, anything new happened? Anything, uh, you know, stressful? I said, oh, I lost my best friend. And he said, oh, this is an anxiety attack. Tell you what, calm down, take a deep breath. And I said, okay, all right. And I said, I don't mean to manage the situation here, but could you pop a couple of EKG leads on me because something ain't right? He said, yeah, but you do have tachycardia because you're anxious. He put the leads on me, and sure enough, it wasn't just fast heart rate, but I, I was all over the place. So next thing you know, they said, well, just get up. We'll walk you over here to the wheelchair, and we'll wheel you out to the ambulance. And I couldn't make it 20 feet. I couldn't walk. I had that little strength. So they eventually I'm in the wheelchair. I mean, I'm in the ambulance. I go to the hospital, and they're trying to break me of uh, this atrial fibrillation. And... Uh, couldn't so uh i guess they were starting to warm up the paddles you know for the heart as it were and uh they were going to do that the next morning but they're just they got the um the iv wide open with this medication doltiazem that they're giving me to get me out of a fib and i said to uh the nurse now it's late at night and i said i don't again i don't mean to micromanage but <laughs> um go easy with this medication because it's lowering my blood pressure and my heart rate, and I normally run when my heart's, you know, normally my heart rate is really low anyway because I'm a runner. And he said, well, whatever, sure, you know. So uh, uh, later that night, I was really hard to sleep. I had all kinds of things connected to me around. I guess I fell asleep at 3 o'clock or something in the morning, which was challenging. But anyway, I opened up my eyes finally at one point, and I noticed that the monitor behind me had flatlined. No pulse, nothing. And I said, well, that's not good. <laughs> uh, and I didn't hear, there were no alarms. I couldn't, there was no sound. And I thought, well, there, this is it. It feels pretty peaceful. And uh, I said, I'm going to go over the bed and look down at my body, that whole thing. And, uh, and I said, I don't, I, I closed my eyes. I said, maybe I'm dreaming. I'll close my eyes, open my eyes again. And I said, no, uh, I'm not dreaming. And uh, I said, well, uh, um, maybe, maybe the leads came off of the EKG. So I reached over to the EKG thing and grabbed the leads. And sure enough, the main lead on my chest had popped off. So I grabbed the thing, reconnected, and then right behind me, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Thank goodness I'm back in the game here. So um, I got to that story from your query about um, anxiety. Yep. So I guess that's really the closest I've been to a full-blown uh, anxiety event, which wasn't an anxiety event. But uh, I can tell you, even telling you the story, I feel it. Yeah. Do you have any sense of what, uh, like, afterlife stuff? Is there, is there I didn't any? go there. Yeah. Uh, I, I was looking for it, you know. I was thinking maybe this is the this is what it's all about. But, uh, no, I didn't I didn't have any experience like that. But I will tell you that was a – I will tell you that I really miss Mike still. And um, it is uh, – it shows you the power of stress. I mean, it made me so physically sick. You know, yeah. and look what it did to my heart. My heart's been 
totally fine ever since then. I don't know how many years ago that was, but uh yeah, we can uh wrap up soon, but I within that I think it's very interesting how the human organism, which sounds kind of like a strange thing to say, but we harbor uh, these stressful patterns and emotions and all that stuff is in the body and the way that we are able to process that out, um, I think is uh, highly valuable for our, our health. And I wonder if there's anything, have you thought into that of like, how do we purge stress from the body? You know, that's fundamental and um, neglected. And that is one of the uh, up close and personal parts of this book. And that is recognizing that stress via a couple of mechanisms, predominantly through the mediators, the chemical mediators like cortisol, is a surefire way to lock you into the amygdala, the fear-based center of the brain, and keep you out of the prefrontal cortex, accessing that part of the brain to make better decisions, to experience more empathy, to participate in life and participate in executive function, to make good decisions, plan for the future. And stress is, uh, you know, absolutely is, is right there on, on the top shelf as being an event. And uh, how do you, you know, what's the opposite of stress? Uh, no stress. How do you make it happen? Meditation. Mm. So we're all over it in, in Brainwash. It's one of the pillars of the program. And that is that uh, meditation, if you look at functional MRI scans of meditators, the prefrontal cortex is lit up like a Christmas tree. Yep. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. And that activity of the prefrontal cortex persists even when you're done meditating for the day. So uh, that's the antidote then for stress, as is nature exposure. When you're in nature, your cortisol levels plummet. When, uh, if you're in an urban environment, just go to the park. There's a study, they looked at salivary cortisol levels, immediately uh, reduced. And if you can't get out, if you have a plant in your home or at your place of work, or even just a photograph of a natural environment, these are powerful ways uh, to activate parts of your brain that help with reducing cortisol, help with reducing that mediator, that chemical mediator of stress. And we all have, you know, stressful incursions into our lives. That's a given. Welcome it. Bless it, if you will. But do your due diligence then to offset that because you must offset that. If you don't, it will take its toll. Yeah. And, and patients with um, plants or a, a view in their, in their room um, had, uh, I forget what the, what the surgery f was for exactly. but Appendectomy. They had, yeah. So they had less, needed less pain medication and they were That's also right. released. I, it was like a day or two more yeah, than and most. So this was a study that did look at, uh, uh, there was a couple of them. One was the view out the window could yeah. look either at trees or a wall and showed exactly what you said. Less pain medication actually discharged a bit sooner and fewer notes, uh, angry notes in the chart from a nurse saying, oh, the patient's, you know, yeah. cranky, whatever. Uh, and even having just plants in a hospital waiting room has been demonstrated to lower stress as well. So, uh, you know, it's all about reconnecting to nature. And, <laughs> you know, uh, there are other countries, Japan in particular, that have really done a lot more to study this and to bring it into the workplace. But we're seeing that trend, I think. We're seeing more and more natural environments in work environments to ultimately, I guess, focused on increased productivity because higher levels of stress ultimately lead to lower productivity. Yeah. Uh, we have, you know, looked at the incredible way that uh, sleep is, is involved in this paradigm as well as it relates to decision making. That uh, even one night of, um, of, of not getting enough sleep dramatically affects decision making the following day, making us more impulsive, making the wrong decisions as it relates to food. So, um, you know, uh, draw that out over time and you find that people who you know, routinely don't get enough restorative sleep may in, in, uh, imbibe as much as 350 extra calories per day without equally uh, increasing their energy expenditure. So that's a net positive gain of 350 calories a day. And it only takes 3,500 calories, i.e. 10 of those days, to equal a pound of body fat. So, mm. you know, you play that out over time and no wonder people get into trouble. Yeah. Thank you, man. Sure, thank you. Good I, to see you again, too. Good to see you, too, man. I appreciate it. Um, where do people go from here? Where should people... What, I mean, Brainwash. Book, I think, would probably yeah. be the... Detox your mind for clearer thinking, deeper relationships, and lasting happiness. Um, 
Brainwashbook.com. Who knew? Brainwashbook.com. Cool. I'm so glad that you created it. I feel like it's, um, I think it's one of the, the most important topics that we could touch on in this day and age. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you for, cool. for uh, giving me the opportunity. Yeah, of course. And uh, thank you, Austin. Thank you, Austin. Yeah, Austin yeah. Perlmutter. Austin Perlmutter. Austin Perlmutter. Perlmutter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you, brother. Okay, I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks so much for making Good the time. Oh, uh, pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Over now. Pow. Alrighty, that was a really inspiring conversation, if I do say so myself. Dr. Perlmutter, as I mentioned, has been somebody that I've looked up to for many years, and it has just been such an honor to get to share conversations with him and friendship, and uh, he even wrote the endorsement for my book, one of the endorsements, but one of the, the, the primary ones. Um, so in this conversation, hopefully you guys got a lot of good stuff. Uh, some takeaway points that I would recommend uh, is starting to put your phone on airplane mode more often. Uh, so download podcasts or music or what have you and throw that little mofo onto airplane mode so you're not radiating your, uh, your lady parts or your male parts while you're walking down the streets. It's just not necessary. Uh, also, something that you can do is spend more time grounding in nature. Put yourself near trees, uh, take your shoes off, expose more of your skin to the sun, take your sunglasses off, get some skin onto your, your eyeballs. All that's helpful with uh, conducting your internal neurochemistry. Uh, our body runs on sun, it runs on electricity, it runs on grounding. And uh, if we are stuck inside of a high rise being blasted by EMF from phones and computers, and staring at the screens, uh, it's really challenging. Uh, so that's a little bit, a little, little starter point. Just throw that thing, that tablet or phone or what have you into airplane mode as much as can and um, get yourself outside to buffer some of that stress of being around the radiation of phones and all the things. Um, thank you all so much for grabbing the Align Method online program. People have been loving that. You can get seven-day free trial and breaks down the first week, breaks down uh, morning routines, nighttime routines, basic fundamentals of self-care. Um, and some movements that everybody ought to have in their daily experience. And then uh, you get that all free, so you can check it out, see what the vibe is. If it works for you, great. If not, no worries. And then it also comes along with the Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band. It comes along with a door anchor and video guide on how to use that thing. It is certainly my favorite travel tool, and uh, a lot of people share that sentiment. So... So greatly appreciative of you guys getting involved in all that stuff. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, ideas, how to improve this podcast, how to improve the online program, how to improve the band, how to do whatever, uh, you just want to talk. Uh, maybe don't be too lengthy with your messages, but reach out on Instagram at alignpodcast.com, A-L-I-G-N podcast, and we are listening. We want to improve this show and make it be for you. So if you want to see... A person, if you want to hear an idea, whatever it may be, let us know. And uh, yeah, we're going to make this thing happen. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in and look forward to connecting with you next Thursday. We will be doing a solo episode where we talk about some chapter in the book. I'm not sure which one it'll be exactly yet, but tune in Thursday and we'll talk soon. All right. Bye.